0: Happy Halloween, everybody, and welcome to Block and Order, the show that explores the legal issues facing the world of Web3. I'm Kyle Lawrence, and with me, as always, my partner in crime, Freddy Krueger has nightmares about him, Moish Pelts, everybody.
1: Hello, Kyle, and uh, trick-or-treat, everyone.
0: Yeah. What are you dressing up as uh, for Halloween, Moish?
1: Uh, a crypto bro. A um, crypto bro. Nice. No, I got one of those um, exclusive Costco sweaters that has the <laughs> Costco warehouse, so yes. I'm going to be a Costco shopper.
0: That's good, that's good. The Kirkland that brand, comfort, I like it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a disgruntled, you? middle-aged uh, man.
1: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for Halloween, Kyle.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot it was Halloween. I didn't get that memo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take well, us away with the order.
1: Get to the top of the order, then. So today we're starting off with Hugo Labs, which won a significant victory at its trial on damages that occurred recently. So the judge ordered uh basically this was a trial that happened after liability had already been decided that there had been trademark infringement and there had been uh bad faith uh intent to to um infringe on the domain names and that Ryder and and Polly had not had fair use. Uh so the court ordered a disgorgement of profits in the amount of 1 and 0.375 million dollars in favor of Yuga Labs, as well as statutory damages, about $200,000 on the cyber squatting claims under the ACPA. It also notably, um, ga- granted Yuga injunctive relief and it re- required that, wow. uh, Ryder Rips and Poly stop selling and, and marketing its, uh, NFTs, it's, uh, close down the, the ape market that it created and transferred control of the NFT smart contract to Eagle Labs. And then perhaps from a monetary perspective might be the, the highest dollar amount. We'll, we'll see if this number ends up being right. an award of attorney's fees, which was discretionary, but the court in its discretion, uh, found was appropriate in this particular instance. So Kyle, uh, what do you think, uh, about the notability of this case in, in this, uh, uh, industry?
0: Sure well it's certainly high profile everybody knows who Yuga Labs is and everybody knew that this case w- was pending what I, what I find curious and I'm not an intellectual property attorney like some smarter folks on this uh, on this uh, video are but you know where is that line drawn between you know what is satire what is parody cuz Saturday night live can parody a political you know debate all at once i mean those are public figures it can parody a coca cola commercial you know where's that line drawn between What's fair use and what's not? As a layperson, how would that work?
1: Yeah. So, of course, that's what the defendants were kind of screaming from the rooftops. This is just a parody. We're making an artistic statement about all the negative things we see about the board A yacht club, which, you know, uh, I just happened to be wearing a sweatshirt of. Um, and, and the court didn't buy it, right? That was part of what the, the submissions were to the court, um, on the summary judgment motion was here's the facts and the court had to make a decision. As to whether you know which argument it believed, but that's that's going to be you know you're, you're seeing more and more, and not just in the NFT context, not just in the crypto context, but in in more generally in trademark and copyright law, there's there's a huge element of you know right. how much of this is for commercial activity, how much of this is free speech. Increasingly, you're seeing intersection of um, activities that are both commercial and perhapsly perhaps speech adjacent. So there's this kind of mixed. Commercial activity, mix, mix, mixed speech activity, and there's there's tougher calls for the courts to have to make um, about you know what is on which side of the line and right. what kinds of activities are permitted. In this particular case, the court just didn't buy it. Right? It said you know it it, it compared it to you know Andy Warhol is one of the great examples, and you, you know uh, and the argument here is well A- Andy Warhol wasn't selling soup cans, right? Right. Um, which I think he ended up actually selling like I soup believe cans. Believe he did, like as part of the, <laughs> But it was like you know the the, per- the primary purpose was art, not soup cans. Right. And the, and the idea here is the primary purpose of selling NFTs, but then it kind of kind of becomes circular because is an NFT really art or is it really a, a physical, uh, some sort of like you know virtual object? So anyways, court didn't buy it. <laughs> A lot of stuff
0: going on there. I mean, you're talking about what is art, what is, uh, you know, free speech. I mean, you know, as you know, just being a, a citizen of the United States, free speech is one of those things that we all know it exists, but seldom few people actually know what it means and what its limits are. I and mean, when you start introducing a speech component to this kind of analysis, I think that's really interesting. And, and people are going to be, I don't know, Some people will be upset with this. I mean, people are upset with anything, you know, these days, but I think people might be upset if if there's a view that this was somehow curtailing Ryder Rips' free speech rights. I'm just curious to see the fallout from this. Uh, You know, interesting to see where this one goes.
1: Yeah, he also had a – it's called anti-slap, right, Um, is Mm -hmm. the kind of law that – they filed a motion on anti-slap grounds, which was denied – um, the appeal on that to the ninth circuit was also uh, it, it, the, the appeal was affirmed so their their motion uh, being denied was appealed to, to the ninth circuit already um, so you know that that so far all their free speech arguments have been denied, rejected at this point Where does Ryan uh, Rich on go? Moving our from next me- topic. Oh,
0: sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, we could probably right, talk about on that one for Time's up. Yeah. I, I
1: think we're going to have to do a special Uh, presentation just on commercial speech versus free speech and and, and, and the intersection. All right, for our next topic, uh, a little bit of a third rail issue, but the Wall Street Journal reported this past week that uh, Hamas, the terrorist group, had raised as much as $93 million in cryptocurrency and that that money was being used to back the current war in the Middle East. However, subsequently, the blockchain analytics firm Chainalysis, and then later Elliptic, Refuted that idea, saying that the funding that the funding was likely in the range of a few thousand dollars, and that the the few thousand dollars they could find um, actually had made its way to crypto exchanges that had actually frozen it, and in fact USDT Tether had frozen some of those funds as well. So, despite all of that, only belatedly did the Wall Street Journal make a, a acknowledgement of some of these concerns. That didn't stop in the meantime, prominent members of Congress, including Senator Elizabeth Warren and Senator Sherrod Brown, from continuing to push for a much broader crypto crackdown. So, Kyle, I mean, what does this get to in terms of, you know, is this bad faith by government? Is this just misunderstanding the technology? Is this just people grasping at straws to, to paint a, a narrative that they're already painting? What, what, what can we take away from this?
0: Well, I think there's a lot of things going on here that are, you know, obviously unfortunate. Look, this is a terrible situation. You know, we, nobody is, uh, is disputing that. There's obviously a lot to unpack in here. And what's unfortunate is that you have a reputable news periodical that put out this report. And by the time they issued the retraction, the damage is effectively already done. You have prominent members of the Senate. You know, just continuing to bash crypto, whether that's wanting to fit their narrative or they actually believe that, you know, Hamas used, used this technology to fund its own, you know, terrorist activities. Um, it, it's really difficult to, to kind of pinpoint any one thing here, but. The fact that the Wall Street Journal did this I think is really problematic and I think Senator Warren and Senator Brown coming forward and just you know, continuing their crusade against crypto, it's not solving any of the problems and it's not really addressing the, the greater issue that's in play here.
1: Yeah, I I, um, I I think it's emblematic of a lot of just the, the misinformation or um, just lack of understanding. That you're right. seeing institutions that interact with crypto. Um, this is, this is just kind of paints, paints a broad picture of people seeing reporting that they don't quite understand or maybe is misleading. Uh, some of the, um, criticism from chain analysis was that the initial, uh, report that these numbers were based on, uh, may have been inaccurate, right? So it's people seeing numbers, which $93 million, holy moly that's a lot of money like right. w- yeah of course we got to make sure that people aren't using crypto you know crypto to m- m- launder a hundred million dollars of terrorist financing um but you know i think when when you get down to the reality it turns out that that that's really not at least what it appears to be to be happening
0: yeah i agree so moish tell us about the library case
1: thanks kyle uh so library shut down this past week after losing its uh, district court case on the question of whether the sale of library tokens was an unregistered securities offering, library initially announced it was going to appeal and filed a notice of appeal, but then reversed course and uh, in, a, in a public statement said that it w- it will just doesn't have the funds to continue as a business and to continue the appeal. So it's shutting down, putting its assets in receivership and, and basically paying out um, its investors with whatever assets it has left. Um, and, and additionally, uh, Commissioner Hester Pierce of the SEC filed a dissenting statement uh, excoriating the, the SEC on, on this particular issue now that the case has resolved. So, uh, Kyle, as a securities lawyer, how do you view the SEC's actions here?
0: Uh, well, I, uh, surprisingly, I agree with uh, Commissioner Paris uh, with her dissent. And this is just bad faith. This is just, uh, the SEC trying to, you know, I don't know, stake its claim as the arbiter of what is and what is not appropriate in this industry. And I think the whole thing stinks to high of heaven. And what really grinds my gears is that library was seen as the paragon of the way to do this correctly. They had a fully developed platform. They did a, a traditional correct Raise they uh, the, the tokens were consumptive they were had an actual use for them on the release date they, they did everything they were supposed to do and yet the sec sec still just completely dragged them through the mud and what I think one thing that's pretty interesting is that originally the sec was seeking forty four million dollars in damages and then they pared that down to one hundred eleven thousand six hundred fourteen dollars I wonder where they got that number maybe that was the, the final pennies that they had. Um so as somebody you know from your seat moish SEC obviously went scorched earth here do you think that they did this to protect retail purchasers as is their mission or did they do this to try to set a precedent for themselves moving forward to go after similar
1: ventures this is an example of you know a good regulator on the street just trying to help uh, customers. No, it's, it's like ridiculous. You can't even say the words, right? Um, <laughs> you were close. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't, I couldn't even make it through. Yeah. I tried. Look, I, it's, it's ridiculous. This is a company, as you said, that did a separate offering with accredited investors, et cetera, as a real fundraise and then had the token as a separate component from all of that. I, I don't, I don't know what the SEC wants them to do. Right. And if there is something they want them to do, Besides what they did, they should tell the market that, right? They should, right. they should tell companies, here's how to do it. Here's a roadmap. Here's an example of what you can do. And they're just not doing that, right? They're, this is a company that, you know, I, 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 am not going to be a dead horse, right? <laughs> um, so I mean, what'd you think of the descent then? I mean, it, I,
0: okay. I think, I think the descent had a really interesting quote from, uh, from Commissioner Pearce. I'm just going to go ahead and read it because I can't do it justice. There is no path. For a company like Library to come in and register its functional token offering, even if a company did manage to register its token offering, it would not be a particularly useful effort. Compliance with the securities laws is important because we want to ensure that people buying securities receive accurate and reliable information so they can assess the risks and rewards of an investment. Library did exactly those things, and still the SEC just wiped them off the map. Off the board.
1: Yeah, I mean, it 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 goes to show that there's just, I mean, there's there's no real pathway to do this in a regulatory compliant way, and you're you're, (laughs) yeah, like, all right, well, there we go.
0: Okay. A, co- uh, a case that's not getting a lot of attention in the in the larger publications, and I'm curious as to why. It's called Jarkesy versus SEC. This is not a crypto case. This is not a Web three matter. But I think it's well, going to be very they're, important. They're, they're you
1: answered play. your own question. Kyle.
0: But it's not getting a lot of. A lot of attention elsewhere, and I think this is very important. Maybe I'm just going uh, being a nerdy SEC uh, securities lawyer, but but the the long and short of it is that uh, Jarcusi, uh was this this individual who was running two separate hedge funds, and the SEC filed an enforcement action against him, saying that he was didn't file the appropriate registration statements, did not comply with the federal securities laws. I'm gonna yada yada over that. It's it, that that's almost not important. But what's in play here is that. Jarcusy then sued in federal court, the SEC, claiming that they violated his Seventh Amendment rights to a fair jury trial, because what the SEC did was they just filed an enforcement action. So for people who aren't familiar, the SEC can either file an enforcement action where they basically adjudicate the matter themselves using what are called administrative law judges or ALJs, or they sue you in federal court, So, and we've seen them go both ways. When they sue you in federal court, you go before a judge, you have a right to a jury trial, all those things. In enforcement action, you don't have that you the sec files its own they conduct its investigation they file their own action and then the aljs come in and and decide your fate now they're supposed to be independent but they're really not now what's happening now is on november 29th so in just a few weeks the s uh, the supreme court is actually going to hear this case and they're going to determine whether or not the sec can use its own administrative law judges to determine these actions so all these cases that we keep talking about—you know, going after the NFT projects, going after these crypto companies—if the SEC can't use their administrative law judges to administer these actions and to adjudicate them, it's going to be really interesting to see if this happens a real knee-capping effect. So, gun to your head, Moish, how's the Supreme Court going to decide this?
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, reading the Supreme Court tea leaves is, uh, something of a a passion of mine. Um, on red. There you go. I know, right? (laughs) Yes. Well, look, I, I think you're seeing, um, probably two countervailing, uh, issues here. One is which, um, Congress is somewhat dysfunctional and having a difficult time passing legislation to cover deep issues like, like, this, right? Like mm-hmm. how the SEC should be handling enforcement actions in, uh, new areas such as crypto, even though this isn't a crypto case, like that's, that's just a, a broader question, right. right? And then you're seeing on the other side, the Supreme Court being, uh, I, I think with the current membership of, of, of the court, much more hostile to, um, administrative agencies and, and potentially them reaching, uh, beyond the express uh, limits of what they're trying to do in, in, in the statutory, uh, purpose of, of the legislation and, and their enforcement powers. With that said, I, I don't know, like, I, as far as I understand it, like, having an administrative law judge to oversee enforcement actions is like squarely within, like, what ALJs do in the SEC. Like, I, I don't know. Like, so it seems like maybe that's okay, but I'm curious what you think.
0: I think this particular um, iteration of the Supreme Court is hostile towards government agencies and them using their power. We've seen what they did to the EPA. We've seen that they've what they've done. Actually, not to the FDA. That's that's a, for another topic for another day. But I think they're going to come down and they're going to say, you know what, SEC, you can't do this anymore, and uh, see if the SEC can find a workaround. It's it, it's curious. I think this is a very interesting case that's not getting a lot of attention. So maybe it's just
1: yeah, and that's really interesting because you know the I, I do a lot of trademark work and the USPTO. Work- works very similarly, where there's kind of administrative judges that that empower the whole process, right? Right. And so you you start talking about the broader effects of um, changes in law like this and and the way administrative agencies work. It's very interesting. So our next topic is, once again, our friend Sam Bankman Freed, who I was privileged enough last week uh, to go down to 500 Pearl Street, which is the uh, courthouse where the trial is being held and I got to um from inside the courtroom itself not from one of the overflow rooms got to witness a day of nice. trial uh with with some of the jury there and then um some with without the jury present with with Sam Bankman-Fried actually in his preview testimony outside of the uh the the view of the jury and w- what an incredible experience to see you know you we were just talking about Um, the way the judicial process works in administrative court. And this is a real district court hearing with real attorneys on both sides, like going at it. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) How long did it take you to get in?
1: Um, Yeah. So so if you talk to reporters, um, they tell you they start lining up at like 3 or 4 a.m., to get into the courthouse. Now they're not supposed to say that there's like a, a reporter's code, but like they're clearly lining right. up really early in the morning. So <laughs> whatever, the trial's yeah. almost over. Um And I, I'm admitted to the Southern district of New York. So I have a, an attorney pass that lets me kind of skip the line. So mm-hmm. uh, sorry reporters, but I was able to kind <laughs> of okay. waltz walt in at the last minute.
0: Do you think given some of the weight and the damning nature of the testimony that had been heard Prior to him taking the stand, particularly Carolyn Ellison, which we talked about last episode, do you think he helped himself? Do you think he hurt himself? I'm curious as to see what you what your thoughts were in real time as this was happening.
1: Yeah, I I thought as, under the direct testimonies, that's when his own attorney is asking him questions and he's answering kind of like scripted, prepared remarks. Um He was really good. Um mm-hmm. I, I thought he was uh, confident and well prepared and had thoughtful um, answers that attempted to shift blame and say, you know, I, I was just an ineffective manager versus someone committing fraud, right? I mean, that's the story they want to tell. Right. Um, so I thought that was quite effective. And then, you know, on cross examination that, that started just kind of imploding and, and a lot of, you know, I don't recalls and, uh, I'm not sure and I don't remembers. Um, which, you right. know, it sounds like it's playing out, uh, to yesterday and today in, in, in front of the jury. And I think there's only so much of that the jury's gonna be able to digest before they're just like, this guy just isn't being candid on the stand here. Um, so, you know, it'll, it, I, I think it, it played out well. I think, you know, from what your question was, like how much of what happened in the past few weeks is gonna really, like that's probably what's gonna matter is like 20 right. people coming up and saying, I agree, we committed fraud. I'm sorry. And it was Sam's fault versus Sam saying, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Um, but that's obviously what the jury has to decide and is going to have to make a credibility assessment there.
0: Right. Really interesting stuff. I'm jealous that you had the opportunity to go see him. Just as a practitioner, that's something that we should all be lining up to do. Um, so I'm, I'm jealous.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I mean, look, you can still go down. The, there's, there's another day or two. Yeah, um, but look, I, I was, it was incredible to watch, um, both, both the prosecution, uh, D- Danielle Sassoon is the AUSA. Um, And the defense counsel, as well as um, the judge, uh, Judge Kaplan, Mm a really really, uh, amazing figure in the legal community, and and seeing him oversee the trial was really an amazing experience. On October 25th, the cryptocurrency exchange Kraken informed its customers that it would comply with the limited scope John Doe summons uh, in favor of the IRS. Kraken agreed to provide customer data um, to the IRS on customers with at least $20,000 in crypto from 2016 to 2020. This is similar to the IRS's prior use of a John Doe summons uh, from Coinbase back in 2018 and uh, indicates that the IRS is looking to pursue cracking customers who did not comply with their tax compliance obligations um, at some point uh, forward. So, Kyle, um, you know what? what does this speak as to the larger goals here of the IRS trying to crack down on sure. crypto tax payments.
0: From the files of uh, I'm tired of being right all the time, I remember saying <laughs> throughout the first half of this year, you know, everyone in 2021 uh, made all these gains and they never declared any of them. And then in 2022, when the bottom fell out, everybody had losses and every- all of a sudden everybody's reporting their losses. What are the odds? Um, but I think this is part and parcel of what we talked about earlier. You have a lot of these government agencies that are trying to get their arms around what this industry is doing. And, you know, they they can put on the good face and say that they're trying to pr- limit bad actors um, in this space, which is part of what this is doing. I, I'm wondering if it's part of the broader effort. You know, we're talking about Hamas and people funding terrorism. I don't think it's the same thing as that, but it can be part of the same Engine And the same thing they're trying to accomplish. This is a no brainer. I mean, there's no surprise that this is happening, given what everybody did and did not report over the last two years.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, look, the IRS is trying to raise more revenue. <laughs> they, I think they need to, given all, all the spending that's happening in Washington. And and very clearly, they perceive crypto as an area where there's a lot of noncompliance and a lot of people who just aren't paying um, their fair share given right. the, the gains they've had. Now, I, I'm sure for a lot of people that, uh, had gains over the past few years, um, those, those gains don't feel great and may have been illusory if they, if they then went on to lose all their crypto, um, or all their crypto went down in, in value. Um, but the IRS is, is certainly going to take the position that once you have that gain, you know, a subsequent loss isn't going to obviate your requirement to right. accurately report and, and pay uh, whatever your tax obligation is,
0: that's an interesting um, argument. I wonder how many people are going to try to get creative. You know what? I'm going to ask our tax group how many of those phone calls they're going to get. Well, I had all these gains a couple of years ago, but I just got killed last year, so we're even, right? I wonder if that's a, a sellable <laughs> position to take with the IRS. If anybody wants to, to you know, be a guinea pig and volunteer themselves for that, I think we'd be on board to showcase you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I think you're right. It does tie into like this larger. Um, how, how do governmental institutions view the crypto market? Um, I think it does look, you know, tie into that that issue of, you know, how much of, um, you know, the crypto th- the transaction throughput is related to criminal enterprise, is related to terrorist financing, is related right. to, you know, money laundering, right? So, you know, people not paying their taxes, basically. Um, and so the only way they can do that is to get more and more information and just hover, you know, hoover up all the information they can everywhere. And so a lot of that's obviously going to come from the centralized exchanges. And I don't think I agree with you. That shouldn't be a huge surprise to people.
0: No, it really shouldn't be. If you're surprised, uh, then shame on you. Um, That about wraps it up for today's Halloween edition of Block and Order. Remember that nothing you heard here is meant to be legal advice. Please consult your own attorney if you're going to take the plunge down the rabbit hole. Special thanks, as always, to producer Abby. Without her, the show would not be possible. Have a great day, everyone, and happy Halloween. Thank you,
1: everyone, and please check our disclosures on our website. Thank you.